Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to No Meat Athlete Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 153 of No Meat Athlete Radio. I'm Matt Frazier, joined by Doug Hay. And if you're listening to this, you are part of Summer Running Camp Part 2. You know, Matt, I'm a little disappointed in our listeners. Why is that? <laughs> because I, you know, I made this plea for someone to write us a theme song specifically for the summer running camp, <laughs> running camp, you know, salute your shorts style. Right. And we didn't Can't get any submissions. Nothing. 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 Crickets. Well, you know what? Someone did submit uh, something we we called for a few years ago. We <laughs> we said that because we were talking about me not using Facebook, I think. Uh huh. And uh, you could say the same thing about not having a smartphone. The, 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 there's the vegan joke. How do you know? How do you tell the vegan at a dinner party, or how do you know who the vegan is at a dinner party? And then the answer, the punchline, of course, is don't worry, they'll tell you. We said that I, I felt particularly proud of not using Facebook, and sort of noticed that a lot of other people did too. And that if someone doesn't use Facebook, they will really quickly make sure you know they don't use Facebook. Like as soon as it comes up, they're like, oh, I don't, I don't use that, <laughs> uh, and I do it too. Um, so we asked if people that could be a good meme. If, if that, you know, how do you, how do you tell the person who doesn't use Facebook at a party? Um, and then someone made it for us. They did. Like two years after we asked for it. But so finally someone said it in. But it's still just as classic. Yeah, so thank you to that person. I wish I had their name in front of me. I don't, but uh, you know who you are. So thank you very much. Had had Willy Wonka on there, of course, as all good memes do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, we need, a, we need a summer running camp song. That's maybe a little bit more effort than making it. Yeah, it's definitely more Putting effort. Willy Wonka <laughs> words over Willy Wonka's face. Definitely more effort. Um, but no, this so this is week two of summer camp... 2016 summer running camp yes it the is. first week we dis- took group showers <laughs> group showers. turned sponge upside down and put his head in the toilet <laughs> ate, ate at the mess hall, at the mess what hall. Else did swimming in the lake swimming in the lake of course people's canoes <laughs> <laughs> i never went to the camp so i don't know what kids do at camp but i watched Lou your shorts and that's what they did well, oh one sponges uh, underwear up the flagpole of yeah, course right yeah, up that. The flagpole, yeah yes so we've been doing all that stuff uh, oh, we should also acknowledge that we that we skipped two weeks when we said we were skipping one. We oh, had yeah. a little uh, delay with with getting our sponsors. We I guess we don't need to name them, but um, to to approve the episode and the ads and everything. So anyway, it, it's it's our fault. It's not not like it's their fault. But uh, it was kind of nice having a little extra extra week off <laughs> to be honest with you. But we're back now. Should be uh, sticking to the weekly schedule again. Well, I, we should actually say what we did in week one of summer camp, which was yes. running consistency. So if you're if you're if you haven't listened to that episode, it was about a month ago or so. You can go back and, and listen to that one, mm-hmm. um, and that was a good place to start before before going into week. Although two. Although you probably could listen to week two and then go back and do week one, you'd probably be all right. <laughs> right. Well, of course, yeah, of course. But if you want the full summer camp experience, get it in order, then go back and listen to week one. Anyway, this time we're talking about running form, as any good running camp would. Um, and I think, I mean, we haven't really talked about this specifically, Doug, but I think when I think about running form, what has mattered to me about running form is not to overuse the 80-20 idea, the 20% of stuff that gives you 80% of the results, but like there's books and books and programs and programs about running form. And you can have, you can read whatever chi running or pose method and you can have 150 different form keys in your head that you should be following and for some people that's probably the right thing especially probably the better you are at running the more a tiny little change is going to have a big impact on what you're doing 
when I try to talk about running form, typically it's it's from a much more minimalist approach. Saying like, what are the three or four or five keys that are kind of common to all of the programs that if someone just knows those few things and pays attention to those, which for a lot of people is going to be more manageable than paying attention to, to 30 different things, um, will get you the result of training for a marathon successfully or you know maybe even taking 10 or 20 minutes off your time if your form has been bad and now you finally get it right. Uh, so for me, like when it comes to running form, that's kind of where I like to be. Uh, but I don't know. What about you? Are you, do you have more as, as an award-winning running coach? Do you have more specifics than that? <laughs> well, I mean, I definitely have more specifics and I think that they can be helpful, like you said. Um, but for most people, most people, most runners even have never really thought about running form. They might have been running for years and have never really paid that much attention to how they're running because it is something we grow up doing and it's something that most of us you know, think that we know the mechanics of, of how to do it. And in some ways, how we were running as children might actually be better than how we're running as adults. But um, no, but I think you're right. I think focusing on just a few specific keys, a few things that, that can um, give you massive results without, you know, you know, taking over too much of your mental capacity as you're running and, and mm-hmm. cause too much trouble um, when you're when you're trying to make the change. But we should note that Running form is important because of a few different things. One, it's in, for injury prevention. You know, if you're running uh, incorrectly, then you can be causing a lot more strain on your body than needs to be happening uh, while you're running, and, and that will cause injury. Uh, and then also because of uh, efficiency. If you're if you have an efficient form, then you're not wasting all this energy, and you can put that energy towards going faster or going further. Um, and so you will have better times with a more efficient running form. So you know, that, that's why we, we talk about running form. That's why it's important. And that's why runners who have maybe never thought about it before should start thinking a little bit about how they're running. Yeah, I think I think the last point is, is a good one because it, it is tempting to say, well, I know how to run. I mean, how hard is it? It's running. We've all done that forever. Uh, and there are a few problems with that with that argument. Um, but what I want to, before we get to that, the what you said about the efficiency thing, to me, that that just makes sense. Like when I hear that, that can be the motivation because it's easy, even if you've done some marathons, to feel like you you have running form down. But particularly if you're talking about road marathons where every step is pretty much the same, mm-hmm. if you can make a form change, a tiny little tweak that you know makes makes your your stride one percent more efficient, that that one percent turns out to be like a marathon that takes four or five hours. One percent of that time, and I don't know that one percent improvement in form directly means one percent improvement in time, but theoretically it, it would be similar. Um, that's a, that's a big deal. That's a few minutes off a marathon. So like, you know, even a tiny, tiny change, a little tweak that, that is almost unnoticeable, maybe even not really visible, but just in your head, if it makes you somewhat more efficient, uh, then that adds up to results. And, and that's, you know, I guess more and more apps these days are probably starting to, to do stuff with that and really try to really hone form and get it, you know, get, get it as efficient as possible. But like you said, we're going to, we're going to try to get, you know, if there are glaring, inefficiencies in where you in where you form is then hopefully what you hear here um will straighten some of that out i do want to address quickly the the issue of the the objection people have that says you know i I know how to run like everyone's been running since we were kids that is totally true we probably do have a nice good natural form as kids uh it makes sense evolution evolutionarily speaking that that we would we would have be built to have good running form um but there are i think two major things one is that we've all grown up most of us in uh, in big shoes that aren't really built, right? Like we evolved to run barefoot, and we've all had most of our childhood and a lot of our adulthood in shoes that aren't 
anything like what it means to or feels to be barefoot. You've got the big built-up heel, you've got your toes crammed into the front of the shoe, among lots of other structural support areas in the shoe that's different from a barefoot. Uh, so in that way, we kind of learn to do something different than what's natural, perhaps. And we all sit for, for tons of time each day. Or even if we're not sitting, we're maybe we're standing, but we're standing in the same place each day. So we're just not moving the way probably that we're meant to move. And and that's that's a fact of modern life. I'm not saying that's that's the wrong thing for us to be doing, but it's something to acknowledge that our, our we structurally we change from hours and hours and hours, you know, hundreds, thousands of hours staying still. Uh, that that changes you from you know the way we've evolved to be. So it makes sense then that we would need to somehow correct these things by having a these conscious keys that we. Are, are trying to run differently than maybe what feels natural to us. Amen. All righty. So let's get into it, Doug. What, uh, where, where do you begin with running form tips? We talked about four to five keys. Let's, let's hopefully stay in that range. If we need to go a little bit more, that's, that's fine. But um, where do you think it begins? So for me, and we might actually differ on this, um, and I think that one, one, one thing that you talk a lot about is cadence, and we'll, we'll get to that, or I would like to get to that for sure. I think it's important we get to that mm-hmm. uh, when, whenever you talk about running form. But for me, it actually starts at, in, with the upper body and with your, with your head. And I, I say that because how you, um, how you hold yourself in your upper body will have a direct impact on how your, your cadence and your leg, your stride is. Um, so, you know, I believe that running form starts with upper body. It's also one of the easiest places to start, um, and it's some place you can actively kind of readjust very easily. So I think that's a good place for people to start if they haven't okay. uh, worked in running form before. Okay. And so, so what what in particular? The first would be uh, your gaze, right? So how far in front of you you're looking. You don't want to be ever be looking straight down unless you're running on something very technical, like with a lot of rocks and roots and things like that, where you're really having to pay a lot of attention to your footing. Um, keeping your gaze forward, keeping it, um, you're not constricting your throat or you know bending your back over um, will help a lot with how you can breathe and, and how you're, you're getting in the oxygen, not having to overwork that way. Um, and that also relaxes your shoulders. So just having that, that forward gaze helps relax the shoulders and relax the arms and, and doesn't hold all that tension um, kind of up in your shoulders. Um, I've noticed particularly on, on uphills, long uphills, it's very easy to start just looking at your feet and mm-hmm. just maybe because the ground is angled, it's just easy to look down. But it's that's one thing that I've I've kind of always made a point to do is just look, when you're running up a hill, look up at, towards the top of it. Yeah. But yeah, when, you, when you're on a road, I mean, you can gaze... 15, 20, 25 feet in front of you, and you're still going to be fine. On the trail, I think it, they say to um, to look, to scan the ground about 7 to 10 feet in front of you. To look out for things. To look out for mm-hmm. things. Um, but, uh, you know, really, you can gaze pretty far ahead, and, and you're going to be fine. If you need to do a little double take to get down, you know, to get over a you know a manhole or something like that, then, you know, that's that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. So the corresponding key I have to that uh, is, is basically just being as upright as possible from once you're at the waist level. Of course, we're not not talking about bending at the waist versus bending from the ankles, which is a different issue. Uh, but just having your spine straight, kind of thinking about the crown of your head, just lifting that up to to the sky, basically. Um, that's that's one key that I try to keep in mind, and probably is a very similar thing to looking to having your gaze up. It's probably very similar to lifting your head up and having your yeah, spine exactly. Straight. It's that it's that proud posture that um, mm-hmm. that our friends over at Ultra Running uh, like to talk about. Which is having kind of your chest not puffed out, but you're you're standing in a proud posture. Your head is up 
mm-hmm. you know, not looking down and, and you're, um, and that, that helps with the breathing that helps with uh, relaxing your shoulders and, and how you're moving your arms and that type of thing. Okay, good. So what about arms? Do you have specific suggestions for what to do with your arms? I know they, at Ultra, they do. And we've yeah. some good things from them. Sure, absolutely. So with your arms, there's a few things that I like to keep in mind. The first is, um, is about twisting your upper body. So you want to make sure that you're, you're not um, moving your arms in front of in front of your body. This is so hard to talk about without, without demonstrating. <laughs> so, so tell me if I'm, uh, you know, kind of jump in here if, if it's, it sounds too confusing. But where you're not twisting, you're not moving your right arm over to your left right. side your of your body. Your arm's not going across your body. Right. It's just staying on its side. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, you want to keep uh, your hands... Unless you're running, you're sprinting or running um, downhill, or um, then then you want to keep your hands in front of your body, so in front of your torso. Mm-hmm. Instead of uh, a lot of runners will kind of pull them way back, um, and thinking that that kind of gives them more power or more moment- momentum, but you're really just wasting a lot of energy there. Um, so uh, keep your hands in front, uh, keep your elbows into your body, so not out like wings again mm-hmm. unless you're going down a steep hill then kind of spreading them out like wings will help with balance but we're talking here about uh just you know running on flat or or some terrain that's not super um steep and golden and ultra also i believe in one of these because we've been to a few of his clinics in these runners world events that we've gone to um talks about not not having your elbows go in front of your body as well right yeah exactly so that actually defines a pretty small range of motion then if your hand can't go behind your body and your elbow can't go in front of your body then there's not a whole lot of our movement that happens and certainly there's some should happen for sure and we're not talking about sprinting where more does uh but in more of an endurance sense of running it's there's not that much i i don't usually think of the hands thing but i think it would be very difficult to get your hand behind your body that would be quite a lot of our movement but maybe people do um but yeah, so I think of your elbows as just as just kind of pumping backwards from your body. Is that's what the arm movement is? Mm-hmm. And um, what I've the, a few mental keys. Like I, I think of it when you're looking when you're talking about long distance running, people tend to have what I think are sort of like Tyrannosaurus Rex arms. Like they look like kind of weak arms with sort of limp wrists. Um, and and that's that's kind of the key that I think is a nice one. And also what you should do with your hands. Uh, Stu Middleman, the the ultra distance runner from like the old school days, he's I think he ran a thousand miles in eleven days or something uh, in one of these super ultra endurance events. And he's in his book, which is called Slow Burn, kind of an interesting read, sort of an off the wall read too. Um, talks about holding. Imagine that you were holding butterflies in your hands, and he says if you're just, if you were just going to be really delicate with something in your hands, that's kind of the the relaxed sort of feeling that they should have i guess basically just you're just removing stress from because people probably squeeze their hands or hold them really tight um but you just don't want that you want a very very nice loose grip you don't want a lot of energy or stress tied up in your arms but you also don't want them flapping around either right Right. so you want to have that kind of loose grip there you go yep so that's that's the arms that's all i got for the arms any more upper body or is that that the extent of it well, I, i mean mostly uh what you were talking about about not bending at the at the waist and then that kind of segues nice in nicely into the lean from the ankles versus uh leaning from the hips yes which is a hard concept for people to get a lot of people even hearing the don't bend at your waist bend at your bend at your ankles idea um still find themselves bending at the waist or the hips they they think it's something that people i think have trouble visualizing how can you actually lean from your ankles Mm -hmm. um not being better so the point is you are a straight line right you're from from your ankles you are a straight line it's just that straight line is tilted forward 
from their ankles to your head, to the top right. of the crown of your head. Yep. And that is one that is sort of, um, I don't know if it's the same advice, but it's, it's very similar to the idea of falling forward. That the, Because you're leaning like that, the natural thing to do is is that your body, you, know, you couldn't stay still leaned like that. You Of course, you would you start to fall over. And running that each step is just a matter of catching yourself with that forward fall. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, anything else with forward lean? Because I, I mean, it's something that, you know, uh, Danny Dreyer from Chi Running talks about a lot. And it's like, I think for him, that's kind of the key. Like that's that's the thing to really not just like stop getting injured, but to start running faster is just incorporate this forward lean into your into your running stride. Uh, but I, I just, I don't think a lot of people do that or can internalize that advice and then, you know, translate it into actual proper running form. Um, so I don't know. Do you have anything else with, with that, how to make it happen? Well, I mean, the best trick or I guess kind of drill that, that I've seen, uh, again, comes from this ultra running clinic, um, which is the the rock at the, uh, if you can picture, um, you're, you're rocking back and forth um, or you're standing in a straight line. Uh, and you use your feet to kind of rock back and forth. And then when you get to that point where you're almost falling forward, that's when you should be taking your first step. And that's how that that's where that lean comes from, from the ankles. Okay. If that, does that yep. make sense? Totally. Yeah. So you can, you can practice that. You can stand, uh, you know, on the road or, or even in your house and just start practicing the rock. And then right when you're about to fall forward, you take that first step. And that's the kind of the momentum and the forward lean that you're you're going after. Right. But it's not a forward bend. It's not a, it's not a bend from the hips or the waist. Not a bend from the hips or the yeah, waist. No. You don't want that. If you're going to do that, just don't just don't lean at all. <laughs> That's right. Just stay straight up. Okay. So now we are down to the legs. Uh, and this you mentioned me in the cadence thing. This this is kind of how I started solving my own running form issues. Uh, and I've heard Scott Jurek talk about I think in I think in the 4-hour body if I'm not mistaken, Tim Ferriss's book. Uh, he, Scott Jurek has a quote there saying that basically once you do this, the rest of the running form, most of the rest of the stuff just falls into a place, into place as a result of having the proper cadence. People could certainly argue with that from, from the point of view that I'm talking about though, the, the 80, 20, going back to Tim Ferriss, the 80, 20 idea of let's, let's get as much as we can with as little thought as possible without having to obsess over running form. I think it's a really, it's one of the very best things you can do is just increase your cadence to the proper amount, uh, 180 steps per minute is the number that you hear all over the place these days. It's, I don't think, you know, people get a little bit too hung up on an exact number. Certainly all our bodies are different and we're all going to have a different ideal cadence. And it's hard to even know what that is without, without probably undergoing a lot of tests and video and all that stuff. Uh, but you know, somewhere in the 170 to 185 range is probably where a lot of people should be. And it's the tendency is to be much less than that. If you haven't thought about this before and you've just done the long stride and the big running shoe with the built up heel that allows you to take that long stride, then naturally what you do, especially with slower paces that are required for running a marathon or beyond, uh, is going to be something much slower than 180. So it's, Generally, thinking about cadence is is putting forth an effort to increase your your cadence, increase the rate at which you're turning over your feet. Uh, three per second, three steps per second is is what 180 per minute comes out to, and that's a very easy to measure thing. If you just stare at like a treadmill clock, uh, nowadays you can have you can put any any beats per minute song you want. You can dial it up or Google it and find it. Or a metronome, you can download a metronome app. Yep. Um, so just you know any one of those methods, and for me, I just I just went and grooved this for you know, probably two or three weeks in a row, just did only easy runs. And the entire run, I was either staring at, at a treadmill clock or running to music that I knew was exactly where it had to be. 
and uh, and eventually I got there. But when you make this change, I mean, you're you're definitely it's a drastic change if you're if you're used to running at a much much lower cadence than this, and it will feel and you, you do slow down a lot because you're you're using new muscles because now these steps are now different. You have to take shorter and quicker, lighter steps to to get this many steps in. So that does drastically change your form, uh, which means you're going to be using different muscles that haven't been developed. And I mean, all the the benefit of training, all these easy miles that people put in is training your brain to get better at running your body. And running is something you just become more efficient at, uh, even apart from like fitness gains, just running lots of miles makes you a a more efficient runner. And when you make a drastic change like this, you, you lose a lot of that. That is lost for a while. So you know, I, I say this just because it's kind of a warning. Like you will be slower for a month, and it will feel, especially at slow paces, like you're not going anywhere. Like you're just moving your legs like a cartoon character and not really advancing. Uh, but for me, it was it was the best thing I ever did for my running form. It's I really think it is the change that that allowed me to stop getting injured uh, and finally run a second marathon after four years in between my my first one and then my second. Just years of frustration and getting hurt all the time. So um, I, I like that tip a lot. I think the only other real like form key that that people talk about that I think is important for the for the legs is is to land with a not you know not a dramatic heel strike to land on your midfoot. But I think a lot of people go about that the wrong way. Unfortunately, born to run and the whole barefoot thing like it seemed to focus people's attention more on that than anything else. It was like just don't heel strike. And I think a lot, what a lot of people did was apply to sort of band-aid it in that they took their same running stride only now they tilted their foot so that they landed on their midfoot instead of crashing into their heel, which might sound like a good thing, but I don't think that's the best way to make that change. For me, that change comes as a result of increasing the cadence or going out on a trail where you have to take lighter steps and quicker steps because you are avoiding different things um, or taking off your shoes and running barefoot because then you can't do that big long step on your heel because it hurts too much. So all these things get you to the same place, um, but that same place is one that tends to result in a midfoot strike rather than midfoot strike being something that that we apply to our running form. It's something that should result, I think, from the proper running form. And I think that's perhaps one of the reasons that you saw all the uh, the metatarsal stress fractures and things that happen once everyone switched into barefoot running mode all of a sudden. Um, so anyway, that, that's my spiel. But I think I think midfoot strike is important, but I think it should come as a consequence of proper cadence. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's... I don't, if, if, you have, if you've got the proper cadence and your weight is staying over your feet as, instead of your feet landing way out in front of your body... Um, then I, I tend to think if, if you have a mild heel strike or a mild toe strike, it doesn't matter that much. But you know, if, if you're, if, if from the core, if, if you're turning your legs over at the right, at the right cadence, then I think you're going to be fine regardless of where you end up, as long as it's not an extreme toe or, or heel strike. Yeah. Yeah. A few, a few more things to add about the cadence, um, is that you, if, when you're first starting out doing this, the first thing you should probably do is, is see what your cadence is now, what your natural cadence is now. And you can just do that by counting you know, you can count, you set a, a timer for 30 seconds and just count how many strides you're taking in that 30 seconds. Um, yeah. And some people will count just one leg. Because we should just clarify that. When we talk about 180 per minute, you're counting each each foot strike. So both legs, right? right. So you have mm-hmm. 180 or in that range total per minute. Uh, or if you wanted to just count your left leg, then that would hit the ground 90 times in, in this mm-hmm. time. So when, when you do a little 30 second trial or whatever, you can just count one leg one and leg. then double it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And yep. then double and then, again to right. get to a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so see where your starting point is. And then I, I wouldn't make the, the leap immediately to 180 or 175, but, but gradually kind of work your way up. So this is where a metronome or, or something like that kind of really 
helps out is you can start it if you know if your cadence is 165 uh, you should start at, at 170 or 168 or something like that and just gradually over time week by week um, start working towards that 180 or 175 or mm-hmm. wherever you think your sweet spot is yeah I'm glad you brought that up because I, I didn't do that uh, but in hindsight you know probably would have been a smoother transition had I just gradually gotten there mm-hmm. um, another way that I've recommended to people before is that you can you can do most of your easy run in your normal fashion but if if you do a little five minute session during that 30 or 40 minute run or maybe two of these five minute sessions i think that would be an alternative way of doing it is actually you know get up all the way to, to 180 or wherever you're trying to be but just do it for a few minutes each run and feel what it feels like for you know have a few minutes of, of proper form at least in this one sense running for during your run so i mean that or the gradually approaching it either one of those would would eventually get you there i think that that's an important note to make about any sort of form change is to not necessarily do focus your entire run around making that form change, but have check-ins, you know, maybe start out for the first five minutes where that's the main focus and then have check-ins throughout the rest of your run saying, okay, now where are my shoulders or now where's my gaze or now what my, is my cadence yeah. and then kind of reverting back to where you know you should be um, and then just kind of letting that go. And, and, and eventually you won't have to do those check-ins as often because that, that form change will, will become more of a habit. Right. So when somebody is, up to around 180, you had there's that Outcast song, Hey Ya, right? Isn't that around 180? Yep, yep that's <laughs> yep. I learned that one from you. For me, it was there's a song called Cliffs of Dover. It's a it's entirely a guitar song by a guy named Eric Johnson. Uh, that is very close to there. That's the one that I actually used. It, I liked it because it wasn't it didn't have vocals in it, so I could just listen to it for a while without getting annoyed. <laughs> um, but anyway, they're all over the place, and I think there are even things now that will that will change the speed of the music on your iPod playlist to to be where it needs to be. The only other thing I wanted to add about the cadence was um, you mentioned that you will get slower at first. First, first, right. We should note that your cadence does not have a direct effect on your on your actual pace. Yes. Um, so you will get slower at first just because you're having to get used to the idea of, of, of taking that many steps and, and you're working your muscles, but you can run at any pace at a high cadence. Yes, that's an important point, important point to clarify. People do get confused. They think that taking more steps per minute necessarily means that you're going to be running faster. Uh, of course, it doesn't because the other factor in there is the length of your stride. And what you're doing is shortening your stride length to get these increased number of steps in, which could result in no change at all in your pace. Uh, but the point is, it's independent from your running speed. Uh, of course, there's a tendency for people when they do run faster to run at a faster cadence, but it doesn't have to be that way. That's just that's just the natural tendency. If you, if you do a speed workout, you're probably going to have a higher cadence without thinking about it than if you're doing a nice, steady, slow, long run. Um, but you know they're not the same concept. They're different concepts. There's just this kind of correlation between them. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Good. Um, do we have any more form stuff? Honestly, that is that is you know about the extent of the amount that I usually think about form. I don't think of any other major keys than that. Do you have anything else, Doug? Just um, since I'm the trail running guy, mm-hmm. I, yeah, just a few things about how some of this might change a little bit on the trail. Um, cadence is become, if it in particular, becomes much harder to measure when you're on the trail because you're taking different types of steps to um, get over certain rocks or routes or certain obstacles within the trail. Um, so you your cadence will become a lot more sporadic, um, and. So when when I'm telling someone or instructing someone to um, think about form on the trail 
what you're what you really want to aim for is these small steps, these small light steps where you can quickly and easily maneuver over different obstacles um, and and where you're not over striding, you're not stretching way out to get over a rock or a root, but you're actually um, you know taking these smaller steps so you can kind of bounce over them in, in a sense and, and be much more light on your feet. Uh, there's that quote in Born to Run, which I really do like, uh, that is, um, if you're debating between one and two steps to get over a rock, take three. Uh, and that idea is simply just that you're taking these smaller steps so that you're not having to overextend or overstride to get over that stuff. And that helps so much when you're going downhill. That helps a lot when you're on technical trail. The, the better and more comfortable you can be uh, by being light on your feet and um, being able to quickly have that, that quick cadence and quick fo- footwork will help you significantly as you're going downhill and as you're trying to get over the more technical trails. Yep. And and to add to that, as much as I'm not an everyday trail runner by any means nowadays, um, I think I, I think it is the way to run. If you're trying to avoid injury and you want to learn how to run, you know, run in a way that not, not just because the, the impact is less, but because it changes the way that you have to run. Uh, and because most running injuries probably are the result of someone taking the exact same step that takes you a third of a second doing that for an hour on a road. I mean, you're doing the exact same movement however many thousands of times versus on a trail run when pretty much every step is, is somehow different from, an, from another one. So it builds more muscle, but at the same time, it doesn't do that exact same repetitive motion that is identical to the, to the thousands before it. Um, and and it, you know it just doesn't allow you to open up into that long stride where you're smashing down on your heel, which which I think is the cause of so many running injuries. It just makes that almost impossible if it's at all of a technical trail. Um, so that that is a wonderful reason to do it. Um, but you know it's it's some people just can't. And and if you can't, then then you know think about the cadence thing or or try the minimalist thing where because that those are two other ways of of avoiding that long smashing your heel into the ground stride. Yep. Okay. Do we have anything else, Doug? In summer running camp installment two, uh, you know I think that's it for running form. That's it, huh? Yeah. Oh, oh, did you hear that, Matt? What was it? Uh oh, Doug's. Did you know? I know that sound. <laughs> you know that sound, don't you? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> um, you actually know this one already, and it's it's a little different than the Doug's. Did you know before? But I figured this was the best way to make the announcement on the podcast, so we could officially start talking about it. As it comes up, uh, I'm having a baby. My wife's pregnant. Wow, look at that. I did know that already. (laughs) But everyone else didn't. Everyone else didn't. So That's a big deal. It is a big deal. December, mid-December. Wow. A baby girl. And then you will join my world. (laughs) Then I'll know know what this morning routine. uh, Yep, all the trail running. You're not going to be the trail running guy anymore. You're going to start running on roads like I do. (laughs) It's just too hard to get to a trail. No, that's exciting stuff. Um the gender has that been announced or is that that's uh, baby girl yeah oh girl okay yeah good and i'm sure she'll be groomed to be a hiker trail runner that's, from day that's, one that's the goal it's yeah. good to have expectations of your children that that they are going to <laughs> they're get gonna, into this they're mold gonna love no the what. outdoors yes. they're going to that's want one to of camp the, that's one of my parenting can. tips is have expectations <laughs> and get really upset if they don't meet those expectations <laughs> yep no we're, we're very excited and uh and uh, you know i've been doing all kinds of research on running strollers and Oh, there you go. Hiking packs and all kinds of stuff. You know what my best running shoulder tip is? Don't buy one that has a fixed front wheel on it. Oh, really? Yep. We did that. We did the whole Bob Stroller thing. Uh Bob is the brand, B-O-B. Yep. Um, And we got one. We didn't run. It wasn't like we were trying to do hard trails, but we had a a nice little path 
called the Mon Pa Trail and where we used to live. And it was, you know, a little somewhat paved, sometimes rocky path. But the fixed wheel that won't, with the front wheel won't swivel, it's just a disaster. You need, you basically need to make it do a wheelie every time you want to turn. Mm. And so these minute adjustments that you don't realize you're making to your course while you're running, even on a pretty straight road, um, it just, it's just a nightmare. So Well, that's interesting because most of the running strollers, one of their features is the fixed wheel. Yeah, and I but, don't know what who that would be for. I don't get it. But uh, I will say that at least nowadays, um, most of those that you can unfix the wheel, like just oh, you a, can choose to. Okay. Yeah, you just I think that's unflip a thing and uh, yeah, yeah. So just make sure between. you're not locked into a fixed wheel. It's not not a good thing. That's a good advice. Good advice. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I have one more. I have a good story. Oh, let's hear it. It's not that good. Uh, I was running with our original Bob Stroller. Uh-huh. And my wife was typically, she's kind of shouldered the load of the children in a lot of ways. Like, <laughs> I mean, she's the same. She does tons more. Just, I don't know. It's just, it's just more of her role. Than I, I'm, I like to do lots of fun things, but she, uh, <laughs> she tended to go for more for runs with the stroller. Whereas I would be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Cause if I, if I have to do that, then I'm not going to run at all. Um, so, <laughs> so the, the first time I started running with the stroller, there's a safety strap that you strap to your wrist in case the stroller gets out of, out of your hand somehow, you know, wouldn't go down a hill. <laughs> Somehow I didn't, I said, I'm not going to use that. I don't need that thing. <laughs> and it was dragging on the ground and I stepped on it during a run and it brought the stroller to a screeching halt. Like I didn't mean to, but I stepped on the thing during a full screen run, <laughs> came to a screeching halt. My son Holden at the time was like three months old, lurched forward, smashed his lip and cut his lip on the metal bar in the front of it. Oh my god! And I just felt like the worst dad in the world. And I just, it was like total <laughs> neglect. Just made it, made it happen. Not only... Not only did you hurt your son, but you hurt him using or misusing <laughs> right, the, right, the safety right. feature that would have prevented right. that from happening. Exactly. <laughs> so um, yeah, so always always put the put the safety strap on your wrist. Don't let it drag. Okay. Good. Good. Parenting tip number two. I'm gonna have a lot of parenting tips for you, Doug. Oh, maybe this should be a new segment. Right? <laughs> yes. Matt's parenting miscues. <laughs> well, that is exciting, Doug. I'm glad to hear that. I think the the listeners will be too. Um, so feel free to reach out to, to Doug and offer congrats or send a check. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a donation to the NMA radio in general. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Well, congratulations, Doug, and to Katie. That is wonderful news and um, should, should be fun. Thanks. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Good. So it's summer running camp. We'll do part three at some point, right? Summer's, yeah. Summer's about halfway done, but we'll hopefully probably get two more of these in here uh, amidst lots of, lots of towel snapping and... Uh, what else <laughs> give me some more camp stuff eating gruel the people who gruel at camps uh, you, you have this weird deranged <laughs> view it's like from the simpsons and salute your shorts <laughs> <laughs> we'll sing camp songs and we'll okay. build fires some and, there we go yeah okay yeah. good wonderful well this has been fun uh hopefully other people have enjoyed it and we'll see you for another episode or two and then and then part three all right all right thanks for listening everyone <laughs>